Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Kangaroo English podcast, a podcast about language for people learning languages. In this episode, we are going to be talking about euphemisms, bears, and the magical power of language. But as always, before we begin, I need to mention that this podcast, along with all of my other online activities, is made possible because of your very generous support. So, if you would like to support free English education, then there are two ways you can do that. One is you can buy some very stylish official Kangaroo English merchandise. And the second way is you can become my patron on Patreon. You will find links to both of these things and also links to my YouTube channel and Facebook group and much more at kangarooenglish.com. English culture and language is heavily based in the Northern Hemisphere, which makes sense because the vast majority of native English speakers are all north of the equator. But I was born in Australia, and Australians are frequently portrayed as being upside down. That's because Australians are Antipodeans, which literally means from the opposite side. The design of the Australian flag consists of a small Union Jack in the top left corner, and the entire right side of the flag consists only of stars in the constellation known as the Southern Cross. The technical name for this constellation is Crux, which means cross in Latin, because the five stars form a basic cross shape. And this constellation is special to Australians because it is only visible in the Southern Hemisphere. It's a symbol of being from the other side. The Northern Hemisphere has its own special constellations too, only visible to them, and they also appear on flags. For example, the flag of Alaska shows Polaris, also known as the North Star, and a constellation commonly known as the Big Dipper. The technical name for this constellation is Ursa Major, which literally means Big Bear because Ursa is bear in Latin. But Ursa isn't the original word for bear. The truth is that nobody knows the original word for bear, and we probably never will. It is lost forever. And the reason is euphemism. A euphemism is a word that we substitute for another word, for various social and cultural reasons. And one of those reasons is magic. I think we can all agree that words have power to hurt and to heal. In today's world, words only have power in an abstract sense. But in the past, words had literal power. Words contained magic. People believed that words could hurt or heal literally and also make things appear from nowhere, like bears. So, for many thousands of years, people were afraid to say the word bear. 
They believed that if they said the word, then they would summon the terrible beast. So they used euphemisms, and you will find these substitute words all over Europe and Asia. In Russian, a bear is a medved, or honey eater. In Lithuanian, it is a lokis, or hairy thing. In Spanish, it is an oso, or destroyer. And in English, it is bear, which just means brown thing. And that makes bear probably the oldest euphemism in language. Nowadays, we don't believe that we can make something appear simply by saying its name. But it does tell us something about how we use language and about the power of words. Because even today, there are words so powerful, we try to avoid them. And they come from four main categories. Sex and body parts, death, sickness and disease, gods and religion. These are some of what we call taboo subjects, subjects that are prohibited to talk about. So, instead of saying that two people have sex, we say that they make love, or sleep together, or bang. Instead of saying that somebody died, we say they passed away, or that they are at peace, or they are not with us anymore. When somebody has cancer, we say that they have the big C, or a growth, or a carcinoma. And gods become father, or lord, or holy ghost. Here is the author Ralph Case with some more examples. I define a euphemism as a word we use. I call it a comfort word, a word we use in place of words that make us uncomfortable. And often that can be slang. Uh, for example, I think soldiers rarely will say, I, I killed someone. They will say, I waxed, I offed, I greased, I iced. Now, is that slang? Is that a well, euphemism? Well, it's not euphemism because it's being just as blunt and direct as, as killed. Not necessarily. I, I mean, I think that's a way of avoiding saying kill. I mean, killed is a very blunt term. I think, you know, waxed or, or, or offed or, or the, you know, the, now we say I, I lit them up. Uh, uh, sometimes you can say I neutralized them. No, those are much more bland words than killed. Euphemisms are important in language because they make it possible to talk about taboo subjects without causing offense or distress. So they are really important to notice and to use when you are learning a language. Using the wrong euphemism or not using a euphemism at all can have serious social consequences. But how do you know which subjects are taboo? Well, it varies from culture to culture and also over time. And that's why it's so important to incorporate learning about culture when you're learning a new language. Let me give you an example. One day, an English teacher was trying to get a group of students to practice making sentences. Give me a sentence about a public servant, said the teacher. One of the children put up their hand and said, the fireman came down the ladder pregnant. The teacher asked, Um, do you know what pregnant means? 
Sure, said the boy confidently. It means carrying a child. Carrying a child. Why would such a natural and common thing such as pregnancy need a euphemism? I mean, we all have mothers. The reason is that pregnancy is the result of sex. And in the past, the two things could not be separated. To be pregnant was a public display that you were sexually active. Thankfully, now pregnancy is not a taboo subject. Society has changed. And that is where euphemisms can reveal deep truths about the modern societies we are living in. They can reveal hidden discrimination and prejudice. In 1928, Albert Julius Levine and Louis Marx published a book called Testing Intelligence and Achievement. In the book is a table which can be used to classify people based on their IQ. People with an IQ in the range of 50 to 74 were classified as morons. Those with an IQ between 25 and 49 were imbeciles, and those with an IQ between 0 and 24 were classified as idiots. But over time, these words became offensive. And in 1986, the Stanford Binet Intelligence Scale was published. Now, people with an IQ range between 68 to 78 were called slow learners, and anybody below 67 was classified as mentally retarded. But today, those words are considered offensive, and the modern term is intellectual disability. In 2002, Steven Pinker called this the euphemism treadmill. Here is his explanation from his book, Blank Slate. The euphemism treadmill shows that concepts, not words, are primary in people's minds. Give a concept a new name, and the name becomes colored by the concept. The concept does not become freshened by the name, at least not for long. Names for minorities will continue to change as long as people have negative attitudes toward them. We will know that we have achieved mutual respect when the names stay put. And this is where euphemism begins to show a dark side. We mostly use euphemisms as a shield to protect us from uncomfortable or taboo subjects, to protect us from offence or distress. But that same shield can also protect us from necessary offence or distress from reality and truth. For example, the US government used a technique on prisoners called enhanced interrogation, which included things like beatings, sleep deprivation, waterboarding, and starvation. And in 2014, the European Court of Human Rights ruled that enhanced interrogation was simply a euphemism for torture. Here is the comedian George Carlin talking more about military euphemisms. 
I don't like words that hide the truth. I don't like words that conceal reality. I don't like euphemisms or euphemistic language. And American English is loaded with euphemisms because Americans have a lot of trouble dealing with reality. Americans have trouble facing the truth. So they invent a kind of a soft language to protect themselves from it. And it gets worse with every generation. For some reason, it just keeps getting worse. I'll give you an example of that. There's a condition in combat most people know about it. It's when a fighting person's nervous system has been stressed to its absolute peak and maximum, can't take any more input. The nervous system has either snapped or is about to snap. In the First World War, that condition was called shell shock. Simple, honest, direct language. Two syllables, shell shock. Almost sounds like the guns themselves. That was 70 years ago. Then a whole generation went by and the Second World War came along and we, the very same combat condition was called battle fatigue. Four syllables now, takes a little longer to say, doesn't seem to hurt as much. Fatigue is a nicer word than shock. Shell shock. Battle fatigue. Then we had the war in Korea, 1950. Madison Avenue was riding high by that time. And the very same combat condition was called operational exhaustion. <laughs> hey, we're up to eight syllables now. And the humanity has been squeezed completely out of the phrase. It's totally sterile now. Operational exhaustion. Sounds like something that might happen to your car. Then, of course, came the war in Vietnam, which has only been over for about 16 or 17 years. And thanks to the lies and deceits surrounding that war, I guess it's no surprise that the very same condition was called post-traumatic stress disorder. Still eight syllables, but we've added a hyphen. And the pain is completely buried under jargon. Post-traumatic stress disorder. I'll bet you, if we'd have still been calling it shell shock, some of those Vietnam veterans might have gotten the attention they needed at the time. I'll bet you that. I'll bet you that. In his essay, Politics and the English Language, George Orwell said, Political language, and with variations, this is true of all political parties, from conservatives to anarchists, is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable, and to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. So euphemisms can be dangerous. If thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought. The child in the story thought that a fireman could be pregnant because that child was deceived by language. And in the same way, a society might think that discrimination or torture or killing is okay because we give it a different name. We need to be careful with language. It might not have the power to make bears appear, but it does have the power to make the worst parts of humanity appear. And when it does, we can't use language as a shield to hide. We have to face it and defeat it and find truth. I'm Christian. This is Kangaroo English. I'll see you in class.